This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ratchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this first day of December. Uh, As always, we have a great lineup of shows coming up, and uh, today's show is certainly no exception to that. My guest is going to be a repeat guest who was here a couple of years ago, Dr. Ben Witcherly. Dr. Witcherly is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, an otorhinolaryngologist. And his specialty is ears and hearing. And it's something we need to talk about. You know, we've uh, we talked about on this program a little bit about basic stuff like cerumen, wax in the ears. Uh, a recent study showed that there are about two-thirds of people who live in nursing homes or specialized facilities. And people think they're demented, but they've got these big plugs of cerumen. So we we want to get down to the real basics here. And then we're going to obviously get into the more sophisticated issues of surgery on the ears, uh, implants, hearing aids. Uh, Dr. Witcherly practices at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. He's part of Pro Health Physicians. So we'll chat with him uh, later on in the program. He's here in the studio, so we'll always be taking questions. Might as well start with the phone numbers, 860-522-9842. And 1-800-966-9842. One of the stories we've been following has been that of acute flaccid myelitis, AFM. And it seems to be a growing concern. For everybody not familiar with this, this is the polio-like illness that is striking children. There are now 166 confirmed cases in the United States. And the spinal cord is the target of whatever the process is. And I say that because we're not sure. We believe it's a viral onset because the large majority of the symptoms, more than 90% of the patients have had respiratory symptoms with the onset of AFM. It results in paralysis, partial paralysis, an arm, leg, arm and leg. But many children have, much like polio was in the 19. 30s and 40s are in wheelchairs now. So it's a big concern and it's actually frightening because we know so little about it and how to avoid it. So again, if it is a viral illness, we try to do our best to avoid viruses, hand washing, things such as that to really avoid. We're going to follow this because it is truly a medical mystery that we're following and 166 children Uh, Many will get better, but not completely better, not back to their baseline. And when I say children, the average age of a child who is affected is four years old. So we want to keep that in mind. A recent article I reviewed was a discussion of something called venoplasty for multiple sclerosis. I first heard about this procedure when I was actually in Haiti, and I had some Italian physicians and nurses And apparently this was a common procedure at the time in Italy. And these folks were from northern Italy, the Milan area. 
What's interesting about it is there was a belief that if you dilated the jugular vein and the azygous vein, these are veins in your neck, if you dilated them with a balloon, you could improve someone's multiple sclerosis. So it was important. There was really not good evidence that this worked, but people were doing a lot of it and opening clinics to just do it. In fact, that was the case in, in Italy uh, because despite uh, socialized medicine, uh, this person was saying that it is expensive. So study was done in Canada, 104 patients at four Canadian centers. All the patients had more than 50% narrowing of those veins. And this is how a good study is done, right? It's randomized, sham controlled. So that means they took patients, okay, who had MS and had more than 50% closure. Some people actually got the vein dilated. Others did not, but thought they did. And what they found was that there was no difference in the score. So they scored their disability at the baseline. And then again, 48 weeks later, and they found whether you got that vein dilated or not, it didn't make a difference. And they treated it for relapsing, primary progressive, and secondary progressive MS. As far as serious adverse effects, there was one uh, adverse effect with the sham and five with the venoplasty. So let me summarize for everyone. Not everything you read is legit. And there are people out there doing dangerous procedures and people paying cash for these procedures with the hope that they're going to get better, especially a neurologic problem such as MS. Always really get to a good resource. Use your physician, your primary care physician as the resource because it's only these studies that really will help us advance science overall. This day in medicine, December 1st, 1802, Dr. Dominic, Dominic Corrignan was born. Dr. Corrigan was the founder of what was called the jerking or water hammer pulse of aortic insufficiency. That was in 1802 when he was born. And that pulse really led to the understanding that people who had cardiac hypertrophy, an enlarged heart, that this was not a problem of itself. It wasn't the cause of the aortic insufficiency, but it was the result of the aortic insufficiency. And when we say aortic insufficiency, let me clarify, it's a valve that's not working. So when you hear people have a leaky valve or a valve that's not closing and opening the way it should, in this case closing when it should, you have insufficiency. The last thing I wanted to mention in this thing was I had a great time. This week I was able to give a lecture to the athletic trainers at the University of Connecticut, uh, a great group. Uh, I'm just always more and more impressed. I've been doing these lectures for years, and I'm more and more impressed at how bright these young people are and the questions they ask. This lecture was on the treatment of epilepsy and migraine in athletes. And the challenges that proposes, because in athletes, you can't use all the same medications, right? Some are banned. Some will affect their performance as an athlete, right? You, won't, you don't want your athlete weak. You don't want them putting on weight or losing tremendous amounts of weight. 
So we had an interesting discussion about the challenges of treating people with migraine and epilepsy and the overlap from a neurophysiologic standpoint. Let's let's remember both of these get worse with any head trauma. So there's a lot of overlap in treating these conditions. But one of the things I think that's a real take-home message is that neither of these conditions interfere with someone's ability to perform in sports at the highest level, even epilepsy. So when we talk about epilepsy and seizures, really the only restrictions are probably from motor racing and and things such as that where you're controlling a vehicle like that, Uh, but even swimming with the right supervision, diving, uh, we have people with epilepsy really functioning at the highest level, the, the NFL, the NHL. So we have made so many advances worldwide and, and in this country with making medications available that are effective for these problems and let people perform at the highest levels. So with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Ben Witcherly who is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. We're going to take a lot of questions today, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today... My guest here in the studio is Dr. Ben Witcherly. Dr. Witcherly is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, an otorhinolaryngologist at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. His practice is at ProHealth Physicians, and he operates at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. And Ben, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here. Thanks. Um, let's start. Let's talk a little bit. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about your education and, and what it is you do? Okay, so after four years of medical school, I wanted to be an ear, nose, and throat physician. So you knew that right away? I knew that at the beginning of my third year of medical school. Really? Because I my first rotation was in obstetrics and gynecology. It was an oncology service on gynecology. It was my first time in an operating room, and it was a large fibroid tumor that was removed from a woman, and I really enjoyed being in the operating room. So I knew I was interested in a surgical specialty. And so as I progressed through my third year, I decided what I liked and what I didn't in the surgical specialties. And I think mostly what I liked when I got amongst the otolaryngologists was I liked the people. I liked the doctors that I was meeting. I liked their kind of their approach to medicine and patients, and it just seemed like a good fit. So that's how I became interested in ear, nose, and throat. And then once I got into residency – I had to decide if I wanted to further specialize within the specialty. And again, I liked the ear surgeries because it's microscopic. It's very delicate work. um, And that appealed to me. So I uh, ended up doing a year fellowship of of ear surgery. And so now my practice is focused on ears and and problems associated with it. How many years was your residency? Five. Five 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 years. years, And then uh, a year on top of that? Yes. Yeah. For for fellowship. So it's it's a lot of training. You know, we were talking about this last week, and there was a recent article published for people trying to choose their specialty, medical students trying to choose their specialty. And they said that there's basically four criteria, um, prestige, passion, lifestyle, money. 
probably the four things you end up considering. It's interesting. So ear, nose, and throat, got to say, you probably hit three of the four in terms of prestige. I mean, you guys are at the higher rung of the ladder, okay? Um, the money is probably good. Mm-hmm. Um, passion, probably have to be really passionate to do that. Do, do you find that? And I guess the way to judge passion is, are a lot of older guys and, and gals still doing it? Do they try to retire early? Okay, because we see some specialties where everybody's retiring at, at age 50. Uh, yeah, I mean, ear, nose, and throat surgeons are suffering burnout like a lot of other are physicians. They? Yeah, so I, I don't think we're, um, you know, uh, immune to that at all. I think we fit right in, on average with other specialties. Um, what I've experienced is the older physicians are less likely to want to retire than probably the younger surgeons. And I think it's just a perspective and maybe, maybe generational, but, um, but I think there's a lot of challenges currently with electronic medical records. So you, you've got the same problem, right? Same problems. Desk medicine, right? Desk medicine is killing medicine in general in this country, and people don't – I don't think people understand that. But let's let's get on. One of the first things I mentioned uh, was earwax and cerumen, something people don't like to talk about. Do we produce more earwax as we get older? Um, it it kind of changes. It gets a little drier, so uh, drier wax doesn't come out as easily. So earwax is is normal. There's not a lot of people that don't make earwax, and it is we need earwax. Yeah, right? we do. It it kills bacteria and fungus. It it prevents infections and it protects the skin uh, from getting dry and itchy and irritated. So you don't want to be cleaning your ears of wax every day. You're more prone to have uh, itchy ears. So, um, but the ears designed to make wax and. Uh, for the wax to migrate out. So the skin of the ear canal is great because it migrates out. It starts from the eardrum and it slowly moves down the canal and it comes out and it carries the wax out with it. So the only time you really run into problems is if you're Q-tipping your ear and pushing the wax in deeper. So bad move. Bad move, yeah. Okay, because a lot of people do. I mean, the Q-tip industry is still thriving. Yeah, if you if you read the fine print on the side of a Q-tip, Q-tip box, it will tell you do not put it in your ears. So Q-tips are not for ears, and the Q-tip industry admits to that, but you got to read the fine print on the side of the box. So take a look at your Q-tip box. So how do you get the wax out? You just let your ear clean itself. The only time you run into problems, if you're not using Q-tips, is if you wear hearing aids, the hearing aids sometimes can push the wax in, and that becomes an issue. Yep. Um, and there are some people that just make a lot of wax, and it's it's frustrating. Um or your wax is just dry and it just doesn't migrate out easily. So simple things you can do if it's dry wax, once or twice a week you put a little bit of baby oil or mineral oil into your ear. It'll soften it and it should migrate out easier. If, it, if you make a lot of wax or you wear hearing aids and it gets occluded, you can just rinse your ears about once a week. There's over-the-counter products that are primarily peroxide, which is fine. But if you use peroxide daily, it leaves your ears wet all the time. And so you're more likely to get an ear infection because your ear's wet. You, you don't want a wet ear all the time because bacteria can grow. So you can use those kinds of products once or twice a week just to kind of flush the ear and try to help the wax come out. 
there are people that just have to get their ears clean periodically. They have to come in and you know to the doctor's office and just have their ears clean because whatever they try just isn't effective. They either have a small ear canal, a narrow opening or a narrow exit to the ear canal so wax can accumulate, or they just make a lot of earwax. How about uh, – and I've heard this before. So it, in the shower, just kind of turning your head and letting the warm water run into your ear. Is that healthy, not healthy, helpful, not helpful? I think a, a lot of people do it and it's okay, but I generally don't like it just because you really don't want your ears wet. Um, okay. Wet ears are more prone to infection. And and you can be washing wax down onto the eardrum. So okay. sometimes you you got a film of ear drag, ear earwax on the eardrum and it's it's affecting your hearing a little bit. Okay, good to know. Before I came here today, a, a friend of mine stopped me and started asking me about this it's an interesting story. He's uh, his son came to live with him, has two cats. They live in the base. The his son lives in the basement. It's got doors separating where he lives. And, but now he is somebody who's never had allergies, 70 years old, but having trouble now with runny nose, congestion, eyes watering. Is it most likely the cat's? Yeah, very well could be the cats. Okay. Yeah. So what do people do? Let's talk about allergy a little bit and, sure. and the, the head and neck symptoms of allergy. Are we seeing more allergy in people? Are we more prone as we get older to developing this runny nose, congestion needs? Uh, well, certainly you can develop allergy as you age. Um, it's, not, it's not like you, if you've had – you know, you either – it's not that if either you have allergies or you don't. This they can develop as as you age over time. Um, I don't know if uh, honestly the answer to that question if if people have more allergies the older they get. Um, but I uh, but I would say the symptoms of allergies related to the ear, nose, and throat: uh, itchy eyes and runny nose, sneezing, yep, nasal congestion. Uh, you may be more prone to sinusitis, sinus infections if you have a history of allergy. And, of course, you can have ear fullness and plugging because you get swelling of the tissues between the nose and the ear, which blocks the eustachian tube, which can cause abnormal middle ear pressure, which can make your ears feel stuffy and uncomfortable. What should somebody like that do? The, just the over-the-counter stuff like uh, Allegra or Claritin or things like that or um, some people using Singulair now. I've seen mm -hmm. that prescribed. Does that stuff work? It can, absolutely. So um, I think simple things that are available over the counter are saline rinses, so neti pots. Really? As long as the water is clean. So we recommend distilled water or water that's been boiled, not water straight from the tap. Tap water is safe to drink, but not necessarily I mean, that's old school. good for your nose. Yeah, it's great. You rinse out, uh, If say you're allergic to dust or to feathers. You're breathing that in, and it's sitting in your nose. It's sitting on the surface of the sure. nasal mucosa, and your nose will will clear it out, but it takes some time. Yeah. So if you rinse it out, your exposure time decreases, and so your reaction decreases to it. So I usually you know, recommend once or twice a day nasal rinse during allergy season. Wash your hair at the end of the day so you don't go to bed with a bunch of pollen or dust in your hair and you're sleeping in it. And then over-the-counter antihistamines, Claritin, Allegra, Zyrtec, or their generic equivalents, and nasal steroid sprays are now available over-the-counter as well. Great. 
Great. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're chatting with Dr. Ben Witcherly, and we're talking about ear, nose, and throat issues, hearing loss. When we come back, we're going to talk about really get into hearing loss and things that could be done for that. When do you know? What are the little signs that you're beginning to lose your hearing? We're always taking your questions at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we are chatting with Dr. Ben Witcherly. Dr. Witcherly is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, and we are chatting about hearing loss in this segment. Uh, ben, what are, are we seeing more hearing loss or just recognizing it more? Are people losing their hearing younger because of, I don't know, loud music, headphones? Everybody's got headphones in all the time. Is that playing a role? Are we seeing more of it? Uh, if you look at the whole U.S. population over the last 20 years, it doesn't seem like we're seeing more of it. Um, but we are seeing more of it. We're seeing less of it, I think, uh, due to occupational exposure because there's better Great. programs for hearing protection mandated. Uh, and then, but I do, we are seeing more hearing loss in teens. Uh, because of loud noise exposure. And there are good studies about the dangers of going to concerts and the volume levels for the duration of the concert causing uh, temporary shifts in hearing loss, which we've come to understand that even a temporary where, you know, you leave a concert, your ears are ringing and your ears feel stuffy for one or two days and then it goes back to normal. Well, we used to think it was just kind of a temporary problem, but uh, that accumulates over time and actually leads – it's causing microtrauma to the inner ear, which affects essentially the interaction between the nerve and the inner ear getting information to the brain. So some of these people that don't test with hearing loss on an audiogram but have had loud noise exposure actually – are having a lot of trouble hearing in background noise. They go to a restaurant, they can't hear, but they get a hearing test, their hearing's normal. And it's because it's that test isn't replicating the problem. So I, we are seeing more of that. Is that the real test of it? Can you hear in a restaurant? Well, that is one of the earliest signs of hearing loss. How, how do you know? I mean, how do you know when it's time to go get a hearing test? I mean, I haven't had a hearing test. I, I don't know of a lot of people who... If it's not mandated by your job, who go for a hearing test or, or notice anything? And yeah. um, when do you know that it's time? And, and I don't think a lot of primary care docs recommend going for a hearing test. Right, right. Um, Is there an age like, hey, when you hit 65, like a colonoscopy, when you're 50, whatever? There's currently no recommendation for having a hearing test at a certain age. But what I would say as an ear specialist, it's really nice if somebody has a prior hearing test that I can compare to if they come in with a problem. And a hearing test is a pretty, you know, it's a 20, 30-minute test. That's is that what it is? Yeah. Um, for a comprehensive audiogram with, you know, with, a, with some aspects of the test that give you some good diagnostic information, it takes about 30 minutes. Uh, but you can do a hearing test in 10 minutes, but it may not be, you know, perfectly ideal But um, in terms of what I'm looking for. But uh, so there's no specific age you should get a hearing test, but I wouldn't hesitate to get a hearing test if you think you may be having trouble hearing. And generally, the first pe thing that people will notice 
is a little more trouble watching British television, right? Or watching certain television shows. <laughs> why British television? Wait, why did you pick? <laughs> why did you pick on the UK? Wait a second. I just hear it all the time, and I think it's just the accent, right? And it's just uh, oh. uh, it's it's a just enough of a challenging, um, you know, listening. <laughs> okay. All right, get so take the BBC off my package right there. Well, I okay. think it's also become more popular to watch British television. Yeah. So people are talking about it. You could come in and say, I, I cannot watch BBC without turning it way up. And my wife says it's too loud. So hearing loss in Do adults, they say that in England too? I don't know. I, probably not. Okay. Probably they not. probably understand. Right. Okay. Probably they probably right. say, can't watch American, American TV. TV. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, um, hearing in background noise. You know, even a mild hearing loss, it becomes apparent that you to to years to you that it's hard to hear in background noise. So you go to a restaurant, and a lot of restaurants are not um, ideal acoustically. So a high ceiling, solid yeah. floors, those are poor acoustic environments. There's a oh. lot of echo, um, and people notice in those situations they have to lean in. They have to position themselves a certain way. They just avoid certain types of restaurants. That's a pretty clear indicator that you probably have hearing loss. Uh, and it can be even mild hearing loss just in the high frequencies, the high pitch uh, range. You'll notice it. Is there a certain amount of hearing loss that's acceptable as we get older? I mean, do you have norms? I mean, yeah, I, I think normal is normal if you have. Um, if you're in your if you're in your 40s your uh, risk of hearing loss is about 2% but if you're in your 50s okay. it's up to almost 10% really if you're in your 60s it's about 25% if you're in your 70s it's about 50% so age is the biggest factor sure. in terms of hearing loss and hearing loss remains or hearing remains steady through you know your first the first nearly half of your life and then it accelerates um, so they're, they're, the norms are the norms for all ages, essentially. And you don't have to get very far out of normal to notice some difficulty. But if you've got a mild hearing loss, um, it, a lot of times it depends on your lifestyle if you need to do something about it. If you're sitting in board meetings and you can't hear across the table and you're missing critical information that's important for you to do your job – and you've got a mild hearing loss, I wouldn't hesitate to tell you, you, you really ought to consider getting hearing aids because this is going to affect your career. Sure. But if you have a mild hearing loss at age 70 and you like to read books and you garden and you don't go out a lot or you go out socially, it's not a big deal for you. It's not necessarily critical that you get hearing aids with a mild hearing loss. Now, what I would, what I do tell people Within the next five years, we're going to know the answer to the question that I'll tell you at the end, but after I finish this. But we know that there's an independent association between dementia and hearing loss. So a mild hearing loss, you have a two – you're twice as likely to develop dementia if you have a mild hearing loss. If it's moderate, it's three times. If it's severe, it's five times. And it's independent of all other risk factors. So there's no question in that – Within the last several years, there have been two large studies that have shown this. So it's it's a it's a public health issue, hearing loss and dementia. Um, but what we don't know is if wearing hearing aids will lower your risk of developing dementia. But there is a study underway that will take another maybe three to five years to complete 
where they're looking at a large population of people wearing hearing aids versus not wearing hearing aids and are, what is their risk of developing dementia. Uh, that's amazing because in my practice, uh, I'll often have patients, even young patients, say, you know, I can't catch on. I can't remember this. I'm starting to have an and I pretty freely recommend they go get a hearing test. That's good. At least start there. I got to ask you a question, though. How much does a hearing test cost? Because does insurance even pay for it? I mean, is it one of those? Is it one of those things where you're on your own? Or I don't know. most insurance plans will will cover hearing tests. If you have Medicare, you typically need a referral. But if you tell your primary care physician, I I think I'm having trouble hearing. I'd like to get a hearing test. They they refer you for a hearing test, and a hearing test. Um, Usually it's covered, and if you pay for it out of pocket, it, it may be $7,500, $100. I mean, it, it oh, can, so it's not? It's not, no. It's Okay. It's not a real expensive test. Um, uh, before I forget, I want to give out the contact information. To get in touch with Dr. Witcherly, the phone number is 860-284-4950. Uh, and if you want a hearing test, and, and contact his office. But let's get into how do you fix it? I mean, we see hearing aids now, and and we were talking before the show. I think they've become a lot more acceptable uh, as far as hearing aids. I see more and more people wearing them, younger people wearing them, and are they becoming more socially acceptable? I'd like to think so. Um, Of the people, of adults between the age of 20 and 70 who have hearing loss that would merit hearing aids, there's only about 20% of people that are wearing hearing aids. So there's still a huge gap between who's wearing them and who's not. Um, but I think so. I think I think in um, my practice, people on average, from the time you learn you have hearing loss to the time you get hearing aids, it's between four to five years. So usually there's a, time, a period of time where people contemplate it. They need to kind of absorb it and think about it. Um, I think it makes people feel old to hear that they ought to get hearing aids. I think that's an obstacle. I think in the past they've been bigger, uh, they've been more visible, and they haven't been as good. There's been more feedback in the past than people experience now where they ring and make noise and bother people around them. And so the technology has improved significantly. So people are having much better experience with hearing aids than they used to, and that kind of spreads. People tell their friends, you know, that they like their hearing aids instead of always saying that they hate their hearing aids. And I think people are more, you know, we have no qualms about wearing uh, glasses for to aid vision. But for some reason, there's still a bit of a stigma for wearing hearing aids for to aid hearing. Um, but I do, I hope it's getting better. I think it is. I think people are more willing to um, to wear them than they have and they have better experiences than they did 15, 20 years ago. Do you think... If if you went to see a professional, say I went to your office as a patient and you were wearing hearing aids, would it be natural for the patient to think, what am I going to this guy for? You know, is you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I there think, is. Right? I think there's a there's an association between hearing loss and age. And weakness. And even intelligence, yeah. And weakness. But glasses make you look smarter. Right. Uh, we haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, I think we have a long history of uh you know, prejudice against uh, the hearing impaired. Uh, you know, even go back a hundred years, uh, times have changed quite a bit. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we're chatting with Dr. Ben Witcherly, and we're going to take a short break now, and then we're going to be back in the final segment. Uh, want to talk a little bit about new things going on. We want to talk a little bit about dizziness, uh, which is a big topic, but uh, something that 
we're seeing more and more of. So you're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Back on Healthy Rounds. You know, I noticed on, on the computer talk they played Christmas music. Was that our Christmas music? Mike? Mike's not uh, Mike's not into it yet. Ooh. All right. All right. In our last segment with Dr. Witcherly, we want to talk a little bit about dizziness and vertigo. Again, you know, it, it used to be something that people didn't didn't do anything about. And now we have rehab, we have exercises. But what are the things when somebody walks into your office and says, I've got dizziness, I feel like the room is spinning, what are the things you start thinking of? Uh, well, vertigo is is essentially the sense that you're in motion, either self-motion or that your environment's in motion. So the first thing I want to know is, are they experiencing vertigo? They may call it vertigo, but that may not be exactly what they're experiencing. Because if you're experiencing this sense of self-motion or you know your surroundings being in motion or otherwise called vertigo, then that is more likely than another type of dizziness to be an inner ear problem. So you think about inner ear problems, but there's a long list of things that can make somebody dizzy. Medication side effects, lack of sleep, migraine headaches, uh, unlikely, but tumors, MS, things like that. So there's a million things. So what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is, you know, is, is do we think this is an inner ear problem or do we need to be looking outside of that? Okay. Um, and vestibular rehab. Send a lot of people, people who have benign paroxysmal positional vertigo where it's always positional um does vestibular rehab and physical therapy help absolutely if especially if you have benign paroxysmal positional vertigo right so that's that which is the most common i think we see right? it is it is among the most common uh, it's the most common cause of vertigo from an inner ear problem is benign paroxysmal positional vertigo and physical therapy or repositioning maneuvers because what happens in that problem is you get little stones that belong in one part of the inner ear and they end up somewhere else where they don't belong and so when you put your head into a certain position those stones move which induces vertigo so if you can reposition them if you can put them back where they belong the vertigo resolves and it can be instantaneous so uh, physical therapy or treatment by a physician or another provider that's familiar with this problem and how to do these maneuvers or exercises is extremely effective in that case. Uh, we have a quick question uh, from Lucy. Uh, let me grab this here. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the show. Yes, a good show. Uh, what is, I went to my doctor yesterday and I thought something was blocked and he says nothing, there's no wax. But one time I went to an, uh, a ear specialist and he thought I had water in my ear and all of a sudden started bleeding. He put some kind of machine in there and start bleeding. What is the proper way to clean ears? Great, great question. Especially when, when you think you have water in your ear, right? If you feel that bubble in there. Right. So you well, can... he said I did. I didn't know if I had water. Okay. But he, it was like a, you know how you dig the road? The, sure. The, it rambles. He did that, and all of a sudden, started bleeding when he did that. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to hang up and answer your question. Thanks for calling, Lucy. Thank you. 
What do you think? Yeah, so when I hear water in the ear, if, if you were in the shower and water got in your ear and it plugged up your ear, sometimes there's wax lodged down in there and the water caused the wax to expand. Um, and so cleaning that out can be helpful. Or sometimes if you have an ear canal with kind of a sharp bend or dip near the eardrum, the water can kind of sit in there and it's hard to get it out. And lots of people experience that. They get water in their ear canal and they can't get it out. So as long as your eardrum's intact and there's no hole in it, you can f- put alcohol in your ear canal. So rubbing alcohol is great because it uh, will displace the water. The water will come out, but the alcohol evaporates much quicker. Uh, another way to dry your ear canal out is to put a hair dryer on the low setting, hold it about six inches from your ear canal, and just run it for about five minutes, wow. and that can do it as well. If you Never if you get the hair dryer too hot and too close, yeah. it can make you dizzy because the yeah. temperature oh, yeah, change absolutely. will uh, induce motion of the inner ear fluids and can make you quite dizzy and nauseated. So you you don't want to get the hair dryer too hot or too close to your ear, but those are some simple things you can do. But you may also have fluid in the middle ear which is not going to come out by flushing the ear or turning your head to the side. Typically, we see that after a cold or during allergy season. Uh, And that, if it doesn't resolve with time, may improve with some some steroids or even opening the eardrum, making a small opening in the eardrum to drain that fluid out. In two minutes, what can we tell everyone about tinnitus or tinnitus? Is it more potato or potato? Yes, it okay. is potato or potato. Okay, so tinnitus. So everybody experiences a little bit of ringing in their ear now and then. And typically, uh, you know, if your ear plugs up a little bit, the hearing declines the, and you get a little ring. And then within about a minute, the the hearing starts to come back in and the ringing fades away. And that's that's extremely common. And I would argue that everybody experiences that. But when we talk about tinnitus, we're talking about ringing or other noises in the ear uh, that are present more constant, more daily. Um, and that's about 10 to 15% of the population that much. in the U.S. have tinnitus. The vast majority of tinnitus patients have hearing loss. And so what, what the best we understand it, or the best I understand it— Hearing loss because of the tinnitus or as a no, cause of the tinnitus? it's the other way around. So the hearing loss— uh, the, the tinnitus is accompanying the hearing loss. And so if the hearing improves, the tinnitus improves. So often, uh, if you get hearing aids, the tinnitus will be much less noticeable. It doesn't cure the tinnitus, but it makes it much less noticeable. So if I still have time in my two minutes, what I would say is uh, one way to understand this, one way to explain it is that you've gone 50 years with normal hearing. Your hearing has started to decline. And your brain is not accustomed to the change. There's a, there's a miscommunication between what the brain expects sure. and what the ear is providing. And so the problem of tinnitus is not a malfunctioning ear. It's an ear in decline where the brain is actually perceiving wow. the tinnitus. So the, the problem is in the, the central or the brain processing of sound. And that's where uh, the bulk of the research right now is understanding what areas of the brain could we potentially target to treat patients with tinnitus? Now, fortunately, the vast majority of tinnitus patients are not terribly bothered by their symptoms. It's only a small percentage that are plagued by their mm-hmm. problem. And there are ways to help those patients, but there's no cure for the, for the, the, the tinnitus. Wow. But there are ways to make it manageable, to make it tolerable, 
uh, and not be a, you know a terrible burden on on people. Would correcting the hearing loss have helped the tinnitus? Generally, it does. Yes. So if you have hearing loss, my first recommendation for a tinnitus patient is to improve their hearing, and that typically means hearing aids. Right. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything you do in the community. Um, If you think you need a hearing test and wish to get in touch with Dr. Witcherly, it's 860-284-4950. He's at St. Francis Hospital Medical Center and with ProHealth Physicians in Farmington. Next week on Healthy Rounds, my guest will be Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford, a regular guest on our show. We're going to talk about vision. So we talked about hearing. We're going to talk about vision next week, ways of improving your vision, new surgical approaches to visual loss. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor by going to registerme.org. Until next week, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.